0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Single-Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. I'm a uh, podcaster, co-host a podcast with Katie Herzog called Blocked and Reported. I have a newsletter at jessiesingle.substack.com. What else am I? I guess I'm a man about town sometimes. I am sometimes about town. Uh, I'm a gadfly. I think that's a word. I don't know. I'm a lot of stuff. Uh, This one, mostly I'm just going to take your questions. I don't have a guest today. Check out had some good guests recently, including Bed Burgess and Chris Kavanaugh. I think those were both good chats. I'm going to be doing more of those soon. Today, I'm mostly going to be taking your questions. My sort of opening spiel is just a little bit about, I think for basically any category you can come up with, we have access to more and more fine grained information than ever before. And I think that's particularly weird when it comes to war, because I just find myself like doom scrolling and watching CNN. And there's this real. Cruelty to human nature where like, obviously everything I describe, I'm not, I'm not in Ukraine. We should have some perspective. But as a consumer of it, I'm like drawn to all these genuinely inspiring stories of the Ukrainians holding up under fire and destroying Russian tanks. And it's just, it's probably a doomed effort in the long run and thousands of people are dying. And I just feel, I don't have the words for it. I feel weird about the way my attention is yoked back and forth to all these, like, it's like a spectator sport. It's like watching your team playing a much better team and and latching on to the fact that they're like up after the first quarter. It just, it feels weird and maybe, I don't know, just helpless. (laughs) Someone's in the queue with the the handle during Pride, which is sort of a catchphrase from our show. I have some more to say about this, but the queue's already filling up, so I'll just start taking calls. It's Friday. There's no rules. Travis, what's up? Travis, unmute yourself, sir. All right, Travis, when you come, I'm going to kick you out to take Pongo too, but when you jump back in the queue, I'll bump you to the front. Pongo 2. Not to be confused with Pongo's 1 through 5. What's up?
1: Yeah, hi. There's hey. a, we recently event, there is a Pongo 3 on the way. So, um, but
0: uh, Oh, nice. Congratulations. Yeah.
1: Thanks. Um, yeah, just commenting on your opening spiel, I guess it is uh, coming at it from a different perspective because I'm uh, like, uh, I'm not really a military brat. Uh, my dad left after, right, basically shortly after I was born. Uh, no, shortly before I was born. But, um, very much like uh like a sort of armchair military family although my dad was actually a soldier but he's very much a military buff and history buff and it's very much been part of his whole time so seeing it for really the like major interstate warfare for the first time in my life is sort of an interesting thing especially since yeah. my dad and I are always <laughs> going back and forth on it but very much also quite uh yeah it, it's 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 hard to think about because there it's there's a very Obvious, all the things you said about it are very traumatic, except possibly the part where they're 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 inevitably going to lose or very likely going to lose. I mean, it, it's yeah. that's certainly where we all were the first day. But even the people I know who were like the most deep into the technical aspects of it and like ever like people are starting to come around to they might actually pull this one out, which is kind of amazing to watch I, as well.
0: Yeah, I should have phrased that better. I, I, it's more. Yeah, I My sense is, no, 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 you're right. I I think that's the trajectory of things. It's more, my sense is that Russia can indiscriminately kill civilians for as long as they want. They're not going to get like pushed out, but that they've basically been shambolic in terms of their entire military strategy and, and nothing has gone well for them, but they just have such superiority in terms of numbers. But uh, it seems like the best case outcome would just be them getting bogged down for so long and somehow Putin decided he doesn't want like another Afghanistan or something. But my sense is it's so hard to even understand where his brain's at now that like he might not be a rational actor. I don't know. Yeah. Well, uh didn't,
1: yeah, that wasn't what I came to talk about. I actually sort of related, but uh, maybe more in your wheelhouse. And um, I sort of want to preface by saying, I don't want to do the thing where everybody's like this new event justifies all my priors.
0: But, Every uh, new event justifies my priors. Weird.
1: Oh, Okay. Well, it's sort of weird that um it's sort of weird seeing all these like uh because it, it started with like the big international like sanctions against Russia, which is really interesting to see. It's almost like James Madison's dream coming to life 200 years too late where you don't have to go to war. You just have to blockade the other person or something. And it might actually work this time for once. But um yeah, but now we're having all this wave of like private cancellations of people just for being russian um which is really absurd and kind of disgusting to look at although it doesn't seem to be doing like i mean i haven't seen much evidence of like actual like god forbid like actual like hate crimes or anything like that what we're seeing is either people being like disinvited from things because they're actually like russian athletes or something or People like canceling stuff like the Cardiff Philharmonic canceling. Uh, <laughs> that was uh, pretty crazy. Probably. Yeah, that was. Yeah, um, it's like I and it's funny because I actually wanted to ask you about this be, for like your perspective on it, because not necessarily because it's like this, you know, Internet bullshit is your thing. But because um, I'm, I'm a little I'm too young to remember the actual. Well, I was I was born basically right after the end of the Cold War. And um, I, I, I was pretty young when the act- when 9-11 happened and also I'm in Canada where we were less, I, I get the sense that like the panic about it and like the fervor about it, although it was there, it was less extreme. So I know there were like people being paranoid about like Muslims in both the US and Canada and everywhere. And there was also like the freedom fries thing. But I, I, I almost get the sense the only thing that really pa- parallels this to me is like right after George Floyd where everybody was looking to like preemptively cancel things that might be vaguely associated. Like, like, can't, yeah. Like, I mean, defund the police is the obvious thing. It's like one bad cop did something and now destroy everything with police and anything remotely rude. Well, re-
0: and there, were, there was this sort of moral police. panic within communities of like looking for people who had the wrong opinions on these stuff, just like a more general right. social panic.
1: People because they weren't censorious enough or weren't objective. Yeah. and, all of I, I, and
2: yeah,
1: yeah. The sense I'm getting here is that all the people who lived through that, all the like uh, middle management people who were sort of the instruments of that, who were the recipients of pressure to cancel people and then did are trying to like get ahead of the curve now and just start canceling people because they're getting the sense that that's the zeitgeist now. I, I, I should say that like, I don't think that like Hannah Nicole Jones or whatever, whatever have like advocated for this. I think, I think what we're, we're probably in for like years of, the, the the people, the Isaac Bailey's and whatever of the world saying how oh well all the people who were against cancel culture weren't against it when they cancelled the Russians but uh, yeah, you know, the Harper's Letter discourse over again but I kind of get the sense that what's happening is this this uh, we've created this setting where cancellation is the thing you do and all the midwits and stuff who are, who are afraid they'll, they'll be the last ones on the line or something are trying to get ahead of it by doing it to what appears to be the enemy du jour mm-hmm. and they're just
3: really bad
0: at it. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for the call. Um, I I think Travis, I'm going to bump you to the front and just mute you to get started, so we can have you come on next. Um, just unmute yourself, and I'll I'll unmute you when I get to you. Um, I I'm not sure I'm seeing a lot of people support. I, whenever I see one of these like Russian cancellations pop up, everyone seems to be against it. I think like the Tchaikovsky thing, I saw almost no one supporting. The YouTube thing where they're sort of cutting off funds to individual YouTubers, my understanding is that in some cases they don't really have a choice other than sanctions. So I'm I'm not sure I agree that like the people eager to cancel everyone over being allegedly racist are jumping on this cancel bandwagon. I'm actually seeing a pretty united front against like canceling musicians and academics and stuff, but I'm definitely open to hearing people tell me I'm um, wrong about this. We have a very big queue, so let's keep it going. Travis, what's up? Travis, speak to me.
2: Sorry. Uh, Can you hear me now? I can. Okay. So uh, I was reading the the Twitter discussion that you got in today about uh, gender stuff, Um, and uh, I saw you imply uh, in this Twitter discussion that gender uh, can't be objective, um, and it can't be subjective. Um, which is fine. I agree with both of them.
0: I'm not. I'm not sure. <sighs> can it not be? Ab- yeah. I mean, I guess I, th- this is well, like
2: there's, a. N- there's no. There's no like necessary and sufficient condition. Uh, like you can pick one feminine trait, like X chromosome or long hair or wide hips, and none of those tell you like specifically what gender a person is. There's a woman out there who doesn't have. Well, are we different.
0: separating sex and gender? Are you talking about biological sex or gender? There's so so the problem is I was just reading a philosophy paper on this stuff, but like there's so many different conflicting definitions of gender. Are you talking about the question of how someone should be treated, like by society?
2: Yeah, yeah, social okay. social gender. Sure. Yeah. So so it's not objective, and I I saw you in this thread also imply that it, it's not subjective. Like it would be weird if. Uh, you know, you only knew someone's gender by asking yeah. them. Um, like that would that would be a problematic situation. But I, I've also heard you on the podcast uh, with Katie uh, sort of sneer at the idea that gender has anything to do to do with stereotypes. Um, and so my question is like, if it's not objective and it's not subjective and it has nothing to do with stereotypes, yeah. then what what is it?
0: Sure. Right. So this is this is a normative question about how we should treat people. And I would argue um, in the most sort of interesting or fraught or controversial cases, you would treat them in different ways, in different settings. So um, ugh, I'm blanking on her name. What's the name of the UPenn swimmer, Liam Le- Thomas? Liam Thomas? Liam yeah, Thomas. I don't know either. I really, my brain is not working, but Thomas, she, if you don't think she should compete with the women you could come to a conclusion like this is someone who we should treat as a woman because that's her preference. And she identifies as a woman in every situation, except there's going to be a few situations where we think biological sex is more important, such as in a competitive swimming situation. So to me, that doesn't really leave us with a clear answer. Like what, what is she full stop? I would say, I see it more like the more interesting, useful thing like how should she be treated? Because I actually think the vast majority of people – I think there are very few people who just think it, it should only be biology and that we should always defer to that. Like even yeah. like art and gender crit- – even Ben Shapiro, if he's sitting next to a fully transitioned trans woman, I think he uses she pronouns and he's like, yeah, we'll accept you as a she for most purposes. But does, is that what you were asking about?
2: Well, I guess I'm just confused at like how you think you get to – Uh, the conclusion that someone is a particular gender without using stereotypes?
0: Um, Because I think... To me, the most useful definition of gender is, like, the stuff we build atop sex. So if I point to someone and I say, that man over there, I I think at root, what I'm saying is I think they have, like, male anatomy and male physiology. Uh, That's not... It's not polite to talk about, and that doesn't come up that much. But whenever I've tried to, like read about more, quote-unquote, sophisticated accounts of gender, they they get really weird. So if I point to that guy over there and I think it's a man and he switches his stereotypical behavior to something very feminine, I wouldn't then say his gender is female. I'd say that's a man acting in a stereotypically effeminate way. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, but, like, if you point to, like, Buck Angel yeah. and you – like, you, you know exactly what's going on with Buck Angel, but you still, you know that Buck Angel is a man in, like, every conceivable social situation. Yeah. And you, you come to that conclusion based on the stereotypes that Buck Angel is signaling.
0: I think if Buck Angel looked the way Buck Angel looked but wore a dress, he would come across as a male in a dress, right? Yeah. So I think that's what it comes yeah, but,
2: out. Yeah. yeah, but but address is like that's that's not it's like a, a lower weighted stereotype than all of the other stereotypes that he's signaling, right? Like, like you're you're looking at Buck Angel and you're you're looking at all of his traits and and uh, pushing them to like a, a feminine traits and masculine traits. And he's got such a critical mass of masculine traits that it doesn't matter what he's wearing; he's obviously a man. That it
0: tips over into right, but this is where I would probably just fall back on it tips into. I would assume if I didn't know that his biological sex was male, because I just I just think I don't know. I have trouble like, well, so define, and I, I do want to get to other callers, but like when you say Buck Angel is a man, what do you think the sort of functional definition? I
2: I just think that he is a a man in every conceivable social situation such that if you, if you saw him, if you run into him, him on the street, you're just, your brain is automatically going to use male yeah. pronouns. To but I
0: think, them. but I think in terms of that sort of hardwired response, I think you're, what you're latching on to has more to do with biological sex. And in this case, it's someone who's like been exposed to a lot of um, male hormones and, and had quite some surgery. So I, don't you think that that sort of collapses into sex? Uh,
2: yeah, but like, I I know that Buck Angel was born a biological right. female, and yet I still like my in my brain, like I put him in in the male category.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying I th- I think the reason you do that is for, and the reason why it's so hard to to unsee that is probably for hardwired biological reasons more than social ones, although the two interact in complicated ways. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. this It's like it's complicated. And I think part of um, I just think sex and gender are different and that gender identity is is even more different and that there's this conflation that that doesn't help. And I, I do think the view I'm expressing here that, like, we should treat people the way they want to be treated, except there's there's some settings where there might be some boundaries drawn. I, I feel like everything I've seen suggests like the vast majority of people believe that, even though it's sort of hard to say in um, liberal settings. <laughs> Go ahead, W. Right.
4: Uh, hey, Jesse, I was um, wondering, I don't know if you have any ideas. I work at a, um undisclosed institution of higher learning, <laughs> and I, I was really interested by this week's kind of discourse about the Emma Camp uh, UVA. Oh, God, yeah. Um, I know. But I was wondering, what do you think the connective tissue between journalists and professors is with that kind of very similar response and I guess if you think it is like connective tissue between I don't know what like cultural and educational elites or more like people who are rabidly online I don't
0: that's interesting I, I think the sorts of journalists and um, academics who talk about this stuff on Twitter are a subset of like a certain elite and elite in this case includes, you know, some associate editors at HuffPo who make 40 grand a year. Like it's not all like wealthy people, but I think it's overwhelmingly people from wealthier background who went through a certain socialization in liberal settings and who are, are very online. And I think um, online both attracts and creates people who are very, ideologically hardened. So we actually just reported a po- recorded a podcast on this, but the, re- the reaction to Emma Camp's thing column, which I thought was like fine. I didn't think it was award-winning or anything. Um, it was sort of similar to the reaction to the Harper's letter, where if you just saw the reaction, you would have thought this was this like horrifically ignorant, offensive thing, but then you read it and you're just like, meh. So I, I just think the sorts of lefty journalists and academics who run, who are active on Twitter probably, do come from very similar backgrounds. Is that what you're asking?
4: Yeah, I think so. And I think it's just interesting, like their commitment to just dismissing patently true. It, it comes across
0: as so crazy. It, I think right. to outsiders.
4: Like I work, you know, like I work in higher ed on the student services side, and I have so many interactions with students who self-censor, like self-censor Absolutely all the time um and i I think I saw I was like Wesley yang or something was just talking about, or someone was talking about in New York the political polit- politicization of like youth and like the cultural revolution, like really over the top activism is like you know shutting down you know, we had at our university, we had a, you know, a reported alleged sexual assault and students were like destroying property and people felt the need to like celebrate that. And no one felt like I didn't talk out. I don't, I think moral courage, I always tell my students, unfortunately, I think moral courage is probably overrated and wrong, <laughs> but I, it's not worth it for me. I don't know.
0: I mean no if you were if I was in a position like that i would i i wouldn't i don't think I'd speak out either. I'd like to think I would, but yeah, I mean that's i'm what worries me the most are these settings people like me are in where again opinions held by probably eighty percent of Americans can't be expressed, and don't destroy property is is one of those things I mean you saw that during the riots too. it was hard for anyone to speak up and just say rioting is bad um but Anyway, sorry Sorry, you're um, – this is probably a crazy time to work on the campus, and I hope that's going okay for you.
4: Lockson reported is uh, a lifeline for sure. Thanks, y'all.
0: <laughs> we appreciate that. You're sorry, and how's it going? Hey, Jesse. Hello.
5: Uh, so as usual, you're providing a target-rich environment, but I'll try to uh, limit the scope of my comments-slash-question. First, just to note that with the advent of the the war in Ukraine, I got – against my better instincts i got back on twitter oh just no to, you know <laughs> it's so it's oh man it's it's crazy but i wanted to to follow up i actually tried to get in like a week week and a half ago and had some technical issues and ask you this so this is this question's a little not timely um but uh it you seemed you had like a slight twitter tête-à-tête with uh Jet here. Am I pronouncing his name correctly? G- jet here. G- I think it's pronounced. I think it's jet. Yeah. I thought I heard. So- I thought I heard somewhere it was pronounced jet, but I don't mean to mispronounce the gentleman's name. And I'm not. I'm genuinely. This is not a bad faith question. I'm not asking you to pile on. I mean, I've seen his takes now for a while, and I think he was on. I think I saw him interviewed on a on a documentary about William Randolph Hearst. And I what is this guy's deal? what I, I feel like i have a pretty good understanding of a lot of the twitter players and and background of the various journalists and stuff who, but i can't like what again this is this question is good faith what is the the steel man version of what he is insightful about what what does he bring to the discourse and I, again i'm really not yeah
0: no i mean i, I don't want to pile on either my my i think he he's written like a lot of stuff about history, about the 20th century history, cultural history. That could be why um, he was documentary about Hearst. I um, I can just speak to my experience with him. He, he annoys me because I just think he's like a nudge on Twitter in a way that sort of isn't interesting. Um, where he'll just like, like he's basically repeatedly told me he thinks my priorities are out of whack. And I'm, I can't imagine any situation in which if I thought another journalist's priorities are out of whack, I would feel the need to tell them that over and over and over on Twitter. I think he one time said something like he was disappointed in me and i at least i had the satisfaction of saying thanks dad and getting like 500 likes for that uh, because it really did come across as like lecturing a kid and on top of all this he signed the harper's letter which of course he wouldn't have done if he didn't think that some of these issues were were issues so i just i find him very annoying on twitter and there's this culture of just like absolute obsession with sort of I don't like the term heterodox, but like, but just they there anytime like Barry Weiss says anything, it has to be a three day Twitter shitstorm right? or Herzog or, or me to a lesser extent. And I just I just wish they'd maybe spend a little bit more energy on other stuff. I I don't feel like I am as fixated on them as the other way around. Maybe I am. Maybe our brains are all melted and it's just like the two Spider-Man's pointing at each other. But that's my um that's my G here take.
5: No, I I appreciate that. And that's that's consistent. Again, I mean, that is consistent with my impression where it's just like. What, what you're, yeah, Nuge is a good way of phrasing it, I think. Like you're, you're throwing out these sort of like tut-tut type of, of critiques without any. Yeah, I just feel like go, go do something, go do something
0: else. Like maybe we just disagree about this stuff and I, I, I'm not. Yeah. Anyway, I, um, okay. this <laughs> a that. good question. Really set me up. Uh, J, Mile, what's up? Don't ask me to just talk shit about someone, please. It's a bad habit for me.
6: Oh, man. <laughs> well, nothing my Um, I don't know. I I was wondering why is it so hard for everyone for people to admit they're wrong? Like it just seems so much easier for human beings to uh, be certain about what other people are doing wrong, whether it's uh, trans, you know, transgenders, or Vladimir Putin, um, or somebody on Twitter you know exactly what the other guy is doing wrong, but it's Incredibly difficult. We can't find a way out when we've screwed
0: up and invaded the country. Yeah, I mean, don't, I think that's just like human nature, and probably one of many aspects of human nature that's exacerbated by Twitter where there's an audience and there's a cost to admitting you're wrong. I, I was struck by. Um, I thought Matt Taibbi's apology for getting the invasion thing wrong was like pretty good, and because he actually explained exactly why he was wrong, and then there were certain other figures who just like doubled and tripled down, but. I don't know. I like. I, I. I'd like to think I don't do that, but I can definitely feel the um the temptation. Right. Well,
6: no, yeah. we all have regrets in that area. Um. Yeah. All right. Now, well, that's uh, most of what I wanted to say. Thanks for taking my
3: call. Thanks for the call, Joshua. What's up? Uh, first off, if uh, Katie is hurting you right now, I just want you to blink
5: twice.
0: Yeah, I'm. And, I'm. Stra- um, I'm chained to a radiator. Wait, I'm trying to okay, – this is important. I'm trying to see what the food is in your profile photo. Is it uh, – how do I get this bigger? Oh, it's like a blueberry maybe. crumble maybe?
3: Yeah, I was looking for a profile picture. And um, when I opened this up and it was just sitting there, my partner, she sent me a picture of what she had cooked. And I was like, why not? Ooh, um, I'm jealous. I, so- uh, I will say,
0: there. I I didn't think they should have early on when this was launched, like – If you're trying to get someone on a new platform to have the first thing you do be to demand their phone number and a photo, I think was bad. So I understand why people use different ones. Anyway, go ahead.
6: Yeah.
3: um, And I think by the way, there is some truth to that. You know, I'm sympathetic to um, our friend in academia. You know, I have a a pretty corporate job right now. And the truth is, I mean, I'm luckier in the most that it's uh, partly Texas based. So, you know, they're a little less politically correct, but even then, I do feel like I have to watch what I say. Uh, And I consider myself, you know, a nuanced liberal person. Um, My question, Jesse, for you is, what are your thoughts on um, the many platforms that are, and governments that are moving to ban um, RT News, uh, Russian News? Because it seems like a very kind of interesting situation where I know that you're generally someone who is, you know, pro, you know, open dialogue and getting many voices. But on the other hand, I mean, it seems like for all means, this is the modern day, you know, Hanoi Hanna, that this is something that borders on straight up government propaganda. So, yeah, I'm just curious on your thoughts on uh, on the nuance there. You know, I, I think if I had to
0: choose... I'd say leave it on the air. I mean, I I just – I'm very much of the belief that um, we don't want to start the norm of of pulling stuff off the air, even really bad stuff. And, you know, I I don't think that many people are confused about what Russia today is. I think there might be a benefit to having that propaganda close at hand and and easy to critique and criticize. Uh, But I can understand how, like, in a peak of disgust at at, (sighs) – Ongoing war crimes, people people would have that reaction. I just think it's usually the wrong way to
3: go. And and I guess like I, I, and I can totally appreciate it. I'm I'm on the undecided camp there, um, but it does seem like, for example, there are certain things that RT News will just simply not talk about, and it seems to oh, come yeah. from yeah, they're just no goes, and uh, when they are forced to cover something, it's clearly you know, the Russian line, I I guess I'm curious in terms of like the nuance of now with all we know of the power of disinformation and fake news. And with that saying, again, you know, we've seen how shutting voices off in the name of fake news is dangerous, but you're not worried about, for example, a whole bunch of Americans and Canadians, you know, buying into the fact that, you know, uh, there was a makeup artist that faked getting injured at a Ukraine. Oh, that was horrible. It was disgusting.
0: Rate? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think just briefly, one thing is I think people overestimate the causal, or they could be overestimating like the causal impact of disinformation because to actually study this, you need to figure out who's going to RT News and, like, would they, if RT News didn't exist, what would they do? And I think in many cases, they'd find some other shitty news source. Um, and along those same lines, you need to consider the sort of, I guess, externalities of yanking RT off the air. When you do something like that, that is itself a huge event that I think will often cause people who already don't trust mainstream news to trust it even less. Um, so I just think we need to keep those potential downsides in mind. But I, I don't, I'm not saying it's not a tough call or I don't understand the um, the impulse.
3: Okay. Well, uh, thanks for answering the question. I find it really interesting.
0: Thanks, Joshua. It's a good question. Hey,
7: uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, so, I'm uh, I kind of want to ask about the the whole World War III uh, discourse. Um, I called in a little late. I'm not sure if this was already covered uh, in the same call, but uh, I just have been trying to. So, my, my prior and my bias is is to be uh, very uh, just straight consequentialist with with this sort of thing and. Uh, avoid the risk of nuclear war at all costs, even at very high costs, uh, just because of my consequential (laughs) nature. Uh, And I've been trying to really hear the best and read the best arguments um, for intervention um, and even like modest, limited interventions and try to understand what, you know, what the argument space there is like. And after a few weeks of this, um, I'm just really unconvinced. Um, and I wanted to know what your thoughts were on kind of the the basic off logic. You know, I, I, I find my my basic conclusion, um, you know, is fairly unchanged from from going into this exploratory uh, digging. It's basically, uh, you know, a one percent chance of a nuclear exchange, uh, even for one city, even if it doesn't escalate to World War Three. Uh, If if one city uh, is bombed uh, for almost any city and almost any yield weapon you could be talking about, it's already not worth it when when talking about uh, some of the worst civilian outcomes possible in Ukraine. Um, I just don't see how everyone else's moral reasoning is working who disagrees with this. I, I haven't seen, you know, moral reasoning even really happening. It's really more like moral assertions, like it would somehow be just... Morally unacceptable uh, for, like, Zelensky to be assassinated. Like, that would be a bright line. It would be morally unacceptable for 100,000 civilians in Ukraine uh, uh, to be killed as a result of the war, which are, like, tragic. Like, even just Zelensky being killed, bad. 100,000 or even 500,000 deaths uh, of Ukrainian civilians. Yeah, no, I, I
0: get what you're saying. and I, I mean, I agree with you. If we want to – I think the steel man of the other argument would simply be someone – claiming that we are overestimating the possibility of um, Putin like really exacerbating, uh, escalating things by using like tactical nukes, for example, on NATO or us forces. I, I don't think we can actually predict that with any accuracy, which is why I'm against um, further intervention. I, I also think like, it depends a little bit on what sort of intervention where like, I heard the possibility of, um I guess this was on like Barry Weiss's podcast, but like if, if six months from now, Kyiv is undersea and is totally encircled and people are dying of starvation and the U.S. says we're going to send in uh, an airlift of food escorted by U.S. fighter jets and dare Russia to shoot us down. To me, something like that where you're really putting the pressure on Russia to prevent a humanitarian mission is probably lower risk than like instituting a full-blown no-fly zone where you have to take out their military capabilities. But I'm basically with you. I just – where I feel the pull of hating – to watch civilians die, especially being killed by a military that is far from the most powerful military in the planet. And I think we could end it pretty quickly in a strict military sense if, if we were unleashed, but it's just, it seems like there's a high enough risk of it um, escalating that that, that doesn't.
7: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I also agree that there's degrees of risk we can, we can engage with. And I, I just think that there might just be a, a basic cognitive difference happening in, in the discourse where Um, the people who, who conclude kind of to the side you and I have concluded on, like are, are somehow able to, um, appropriately decouple like the tragic reality of the consequences of like a bad guy starting a war from like that driving all of our decision-making and and giving us tunnel vision about it. And there are some people who are not able to decouple that. Yeah.
0: well, uh, but the other thing I'd point out is that there's also like an ideology behind it. Like this was, um, Barry Weiss didn't host his podcast episode it was Peter Savodnik, but one of his guests was Eli Lake, yeah, who's a neocon type.
7: I just listened to it.
0: I, yeah. Okay, yeah. And, and, and um, but just for everyone else, I, I, what folks like Eli Lake believe is that American power can be yielded in good ways, and they would point to situations like Sarajevo, I guess. From their point of view, we veered too far back in the other direction because of Iraq and Afghanistan. I'm of the view that those were such horrible events that I will forever be skeptical of U.S. power. But I think he's just approaching it from the place of like people are getting way too dovish and the U.S. can make the world a better place. And I think that probably shapes the sort of weights he um, uh, affixes to different probabilities in the the way it probably does for us that we're skeptical of U.S. intervention.
7: I agree. And I think that the proper response to Lake's line on this and a few others who who have taken similar – Stances, you know. Barry Weiss had a, had a similar uh, episode with uh, Matt Taibbi and I forget uh, Brett Stevens. Uh, that was another good version of this of this kind of uh, collide. I think a, a good response to Eli Lake's line is uh, Matt Iglesias' recent episode um, on the Eighty Thousand Hours podcast uh, with Rob Wiblin uh, about uh, not falling into kind of naive punditry and trying to understand that, you know when you when you are just taking the inside view of a question uh without really looking at the track record of something it can lead you to very different conclusions than you would than you would uh, arrive at if you would actually look at at the track record of a certain way yeah. of thinking and i just uh, I, yeah i would recommend that episode i'm uh, gonna check to, that
0: out that, that sounds up my alley
7: yeah thanks for taking this question it's just it's kind of it's deranging kind of to to really think through you know uh some of this, some of this stuff, uh, and it's dissatisfying to be very unconvinced when you're trying to be convinced. Yeah,
0: but, but I think yeah. in a situation like this, it's a good sign if you're unconvinced because the world is a complicated and frequently uh, shitty place. So I appreciate the call. I'm going to take Caleb, Patrick, and then Blood. Blood is a great name. I think he's here, she or there is a first-time caller, and then after that, I'm going to have to go. So if you're in the queue and you're not Caleb, Patrick, or Blood, I'm probably not going to be able to get to you. Apologies, Caleb. What's up? Very full queue today, which is good, but it means I can't always get to everyone. Caleb, can you hear me?
8: Uh, I can hear you. Can you hear me?
0: I can... You want to unmute yourself? There you go.
8: Yes, there we go. Yeah. Um, so I'm calling from Melbourne, Australia, and something I've been reflecting on quite a lot lately is the amount of attention that I've been paying to a lot of US politics. Many of the, or most of the podcasts I listen to Come from America, and a lot of the issues that I'm paying attention to aren't even just the you know ones that necessarily affect the world internationally. It's you know, a lot of domestic politics, things like you know this "Don't Say Gay" bill uh, "Don't Say Gay" bill in Florida and stuff like that. And I was wondering how you, as an American, respond to having an international audience and um, perhaps the attention that is paid to. Uh, U.S. issues abroad. Do you think that it makes sense for somebody who is an American to be paying that much attention to it, or do you think that you know people should be paying perhaps more attention just to what's, just to what's <laughs> going on uh, close to them?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to say, right? Because I I was born in and grew up in. Uh, one of the most powerful countries ever. And I think it's understandable if you're from anywhere else, you're probably keeping a close eye on what's going on over here. I do think that we are so like just pervasive and our reach is so big and our culture just gets shot into so many different brains that I could imagine getting burned out by that. And, and a lot of our, we also are like very, we have a very dysfunctional political culture. Um, I mean every political culture is dysfunctional in its own way, but ours is like colourfully so and I I can imagine a lot of people just tuning in as a spectator sport, but I, I think it just comes down to that we're like we're sort of the hegemon, at least for now, and we we have incredible cultural reach and, and I think uh I think that just sort of explains it. And whether or not an individual spends too much time paying attention to us versus other stuff probably, you know, depends on how um how functional their own country is australia if my understanding is correct you guys once fought and lost a war against wild emus so maybe you've got bigger fish to fry
8: yeah probably <laughs> although i guess
0: that was like 80 or 90 years ago i just always love that fact
8: yeah it was a while ago no one really talked about it until i think it was a youtube video produced about it and now whenever i speak to an american that's the first thing that's bring <laughs> up. is the emu Award.
0: Yeah. Uh, anyway, does that my my answer make sense to you? I mean, do you feel like you, you have to or you're just sort of addicted to paying attention to US?
8: I think it's a combination of both. I think, you know, it is somewhat of an addiction. Although, you know, often a lot of the most interesting people that I find, like you and Katie, you know, come from America and, you know, you're very engaging and funny. And so you kind of jump into it that way. And then you find yourself becoming, you know, very emotionally invested in, you know, particular bills and stuff like that you often sort of think well does it make sense for me to be this interested in what's going on in a particular u.s state when there are much worse things you know in other yeah.
0: countries? yeah that makes sense I, I also think like australia and america have a lot of i mean maybe it's just sort of the anglo thing sphere, but like we have a lot of cultural similarities and or at least especially I, did, I don't know i just remember i went there when i was like 13 or 14 and just australians are so funny and sarcastic and they have a lot of personality traits i associate with like northeastern people except like you guys are just happier and better functioning so
8: yeah although sometimes i think that that means that people kind of assume that everything's the same and you know they kind of transport a particular u.s issue into australia when there are quite different nuances i've noticed that
0: with a lot it's of our race with, with a lot of our race discourse i feel like it's exported elsewhere in the places where it doesn't
8: Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, you know, Australia absolutely has its own issues, but I think they do take a different form. And sometimes I think that gets kind of missed when people just want to kind of jump on the bandwagon of whatever US influence or whatever they really like.
0: Yeah. Thanks for the call, Caleb. I, uh, I welcome yeah, no all worries. my Aussie listeners and callers. Patrick, what is up?
6: Uh, Wolf, Wolf, Jesse.
0: Wolf, Wolf. Friday. Thank you.
6: Uh, uh, so.
0: Hey, I'm having a lot of trouble hearing you. You got to put the mic closer to your mouth or or turn off speaker or something. Uh, Patrick? No, it's just way too. uh, Try one more time. Is there any way to make it louder? I know you've waited a while. I don't want to lose you. (sighs) Patrick, yeah. Uh, Patrick, if you jump back in the queue, I'll take one more crack at it when you get back. Blood Knight. Sorry, not blood. Blood Knight. I apologize. Don't kill me. Blood Knight, you got to unmute yourself, my friend. Well, it is your lucky day, Mateo. You hung around and good stuff happened. What's up? Every
6: day is my lucky day, and I (laughs) appreciate it as that. Because every day, every day, Jesse, is the first day of what? What The rest of your life. The rest of our lives. That's right. I got a good doomsday scenario for you, okay? And I want your reaction on it. Very exciting. Uh, So uh, Putin, uh, while doing all his fist shaking right when he uh, invaded uh, got a sort of lukewarm statement of support from Israel towards Ukraine, this enraged Putin. And mere moments later, within like within the hour, his, uh, his thugs, his dogs, his Peskovs and Zakharovas and whatnot responded saying, hey, by the way, Golan Heights is still illegal and we have not forgot about that and we're going to circle back to it. So here's my question to you in terms of a scenario. Let's say Putin is genuinely crazy. He's getting crazier. A month from now, he declares victory because he's used a bunch of thermobarics on Kiev and occupies Kiev, even though he doesn't really occupy the country in a meaningful way because he's still losing generals every week or so. So he's angrier and crazier than ever. But he decides to say, "You know what? I'm still Vova Putin. I'm the hero of the global south now. No one has ever stood up to the West like I have." And uh, for my final act or my next act, as I go crazier. I'm going to follow up on what I mentioned on February 25th or so, and I'm going to launch a cruise missile into Demonia, which will not be defended by Iron Dome because Iron Dome defends civilians. I'm going to nuke that structure, not nuke it, lose a, use a cruise missile right into pneumonia. and then I'm going to sit back and laugh while Israel explains to the world that it was not a nuclear reactor that was hit because they have no nuclear program, and then I'm going to say, you have a week to peacefully give up Golan Heights, and if you don't, I'm going to take it. <laughs> what happens? What do you wow. think? What do, you
0: think they do? what do I think happens? Uh, this, I think this is where we get into undeniably World War Three territory.
6: Well, why? Why? Why is it World War Three? Because everything I mentioned there is actually the same way that Putin said, I'm going to denazify Ukraine, and everyone's like, uh, okay, he could very much say, hey, look, I just denuclearized the Middle East. Right. By demonia, he, that could happen very easily.
0: Um, I think if, if Putin attacked Israel, wouldn't that immediately draw in Many other people, including the U.S. Well, I'm asking
6: you. What, what do you think?
0: I, I'm not I, – I feel unqualified to answer this, but I feel like any attack on Israel, um, they are our closest ally, and especially an attack at the end of Russia's invasion of Ukraine would uh, – there would be a very – Big response and, and things would go south very quickly. Well, let's in the whole say world. let's
6: say he isn't Doctor Evil with the cruise missile into the nuclear weapons program, which does not exist and never has existed. Let's say he just says, "Give me Golan back." You have a week to think about it. What do you think happens
0: if Putin says, "Give the Golan Heights back"? Yes, to Syria. Uh, no, I mean Israel wouldn't do it because they know they have the backing of the U.S.
6: Really, even if the world really sees the whole genie energy deal and how that went down and where Jared Kushner was and the whole thing you really think that they'll stand their ground and not give it back.
0: In this scenario, if I had to guess, yeah. But again, I'm, I'm underqualified in terms of my um, lack of foreign policy chops. Okay. Well, I just wanted to give you some information. <laughs> you should write stuff. that up. I would, re- I would read the shit out of that as like a short story, alternate, alternate near future.
6: Yeah. You know, it's not as alternate as it seems, which is why I, I bring it up, because he really did say – and, you know, the U.S. was the only country to recognize that map change, a right. map change that was not that unlike – saddam's invasion of kuwait on paper yeah write it up and thank you for the call. <laughs> okay i will be on the car for you in my mind Jesse. Have a Enjoy great weekend it. thanks for you taking too. the call but
0: patrick do not ask me any questions that rely on me knowing about geopolitics please
9: oh i will not um actually i had questions about you because you're in the biz so i had one of two topics i could ask you about since you're a busy man with many cheese boats to eat mm-hmm. uh i'll let choose which one you'd rather handle would you rather talk movies or law
0: oh jesus uh i guess movies okay
9: so um you were tweeting yesterday about the kind of hubbub that's been going around with the cinema blend type thing and generally uh, so I, i thanks to you i was able to actually read the kind of original review my takeaway from it was that it was pretty much like this isn't for me, but someone will like it, which I didn't find terribly offensive, but I guess a lot of people did. I, I would just My, so people but...
0: know what we're talking about. It, it was a review that basically said that this new Pixar movie, there was like one or two paragraphs saying that it focused too much on the uh, pubescent female protagonist status as like an Asian girl in an Asian community in Toronto. And that he thought that wouldn't be relatable to other people, which I thought was like sort of reasonable, but he sort of shot himself in the foot by not giving it like, at least give some examples. Um, and obviously, the hysterical outrage was disproportionate, but, you know, I could understand why it came across as a little tone deaf. Anyway.
9: Well, I, I would quibble with that a little bit. My reading of it was like, he wasn't saying, I don't think he was saying because it was about Asian girls, it's not entirely unacceptable. I just think it was more because it's a very specific kind of community. It might apply to more people like within that community than as opposed to outsiders, which... I think you can make a point that outsiders don't have to be in a community in order to be interested in them. But uh, anyways, just the kind of that, but like, uh, it seems like a lot of people are kind of getting mad over this, which I felt kind of anodyne about it because he didn't necessarily say it was bad. He just said it was not for him. So my question is, do you, is there any like kind of even criticism that's still available? Like in the Pauline kale style where you could just like absolutely hate something that I think the only thing that you could probably do that to is maybe like one of the tent pole franchises, uh, but just like have a kind of thing of where you just don't like it or have any kind of style. I, I'm wondering if uh, they we're kind of trying to kind of get away from having any kind of strong opinions about anything that uh, isn't around like that. I, I generally don't see too, too many kind of like. I guess what I would say people kind of being breaking away from the pack or any of that kind of way, not necessarily that a person saying a children 's movie isn 't for them is anything kind of radical, but I just don 't know if and if there 's someone out there who you think is a good example, I would like to know of kind of like basically kind of breaking away from like the pack in terms of writing about like television or movies along that kind of line
0: I, so i 'm not i 'm sort of not a sophisticated enough consumer of like pop culture writing. I will say. Um, this is sort of a similar problem we've seen in other areas, but there's just like this wave of, of conformity all in the same political direction that has descended on a lot of TV and movie and and games writing. I'm almost most familiar with like video games writing, although I don't play them much anymore, but it's just like everyone's expressing the same views and the same criticisms of the same product. So um, if anything comes to mind, I'll let you know, but I just think we're in a grim time for cultural writing in general. Uh,
9: That's kind of the answer I was expecting. Uh, i I feel like if in order to find that kind of thing you have to go out onto the margins. I will say that they're probably thanks in part to red scale Chapo and like cometown that there is like people out there who are doing that, but you actually have to turn over rocks yeah and,
0: and I think there. i'd um I'm gonna let you go in a minute but I, th- I think on like YouTube too there's some good commentators I'm just not as up on them, but I think a lot of the the best YouTube commentary is better than sort of the big culture outlets but um that's a good question, Patrick. I appreciate it. All
9: right. Thanks, Jesse. All
0: right. Um, that's got to be it for me. Sorry, Siddharth. I'm not going to be able to get to you this time, but um, I uh, I got to get ready. I'm actually meeting someone for dinner um, and I'm tired, so I need some coffee or something. But uh, I appreciate, as always, I appreciate you guys listening. Um, and I would just ask if you like what I'm doing here or if you have suggestions for, uh, well, if you like what I'm doing, tell other people about it. If you have suggestions for guests or topics, Let me know, but I hope you guys all have a uh, good weekend and thank you again for stopping by. Farewell.